Good morning. It is a privilege to be here today, to be with you, and to sit here among you and hear God's people singing praises, the redeemed singing praises to his name. Uh, What a blessing. I appreciate uh, your thoughts, Joshua, uh, especially from the Gospel of John that you shared there. Uh, My question or my challenging thought was, do we know Jesus or do we know who Jesus is? Do we know about him? But do you know Jesus, the light of the world, the true light, as it says in that passage of Scripture? Do we know the true light? We have lots of light here today, and that's good. We can see each other. We can see to read, and light's good. But do we know the true light? Does he know you? This morning, I'd like to share a message that I've entitled, Complete in Christ. Complete in Christ, and that's going to be our text, as you see on on the screen there. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. And this is a passage that I was reading recently in in the scriptures in my quiet time, uh, reading about uh, Samuel in the Old Testament. And it's been a challenge to me, and so I wanted to share some things about him this morning that can hopefully encourage us all and challenge us all. It challenged me, and uh, hopefully it can challenge you. But it's the beginning of a brand new year. It's 2024. We're about a week into it. God has blessed us. We've had hard times, some hard times in 2023. Different people of varying degrees went through difficult times. But you've also had good times. We've all all had good times. God has truly been blessing. A blessing to us. He's blessed us. And so as you think about your life in 2023, what stands out to you the most? I'm springing that question on you, but do you have anything that flashes into your mind? And I'm not wanting, this is a rhetorical question, I want you to speak up, but what stands out to you the most? Can you recall some, some of the good choices that you made? And can you think also maybe then of some poor choices that you made that you don't want to repeat? That you want God's help to change in this new year? Maybe you want to start something new this year that you didn't start, that you haven't been doing. Or start up something this year that you left slip. Or maybe you want to let go of something that you were doing. So you can be complete in Christ. So the topic this morning is that of character, integrity, along those lines. Um, So the question is, have we been people of integrity this past year, whose heartfelt desire was to follow Jesus Christ? Or are we living with some regrets? I'm going to start this morning by sharing a few stories that deal with this topic of integrity. The dictionary says integrity is the state of being whole and undivided, and so I want to look at Christian integrity today. And I'll, I'll use that word, Christian integrity, as being complete in Christ. 
Lawrence Reitzman shared a little story called The Bystander Effect on a New York... Let me get to it. There we go. On a New York City street in March the 13th, 1964, Kitty Genovese was slowly and brutally stabbed to death. At least 38 of her neighbors witnessed the attack and heard her screams. In the course of the 90-minute episode, her attacker was actually frightened away. And then he returned to finish her off. Yet not once during that period did any neighbor assist her or even telephone the police. This is really hard to believe, but it's history. You can look it up. The implications of this tragic event shocked America, and it stimulated two young psychologists, Darley and Latane, to study the conditions under which people are or are not willing to help others in an emergency. In essence, they concluded that responsibility is diffused. The more people present in an emergency situation, the less likely it is that any one of them will offer help. And this is popularly called the bystander effect. In the actual experiment, when one bystander was present, 85% offered help. When two were present, it dropped to 62% who offered help. And when five were present, it then decreased to 31%. Well, that is shocking to think about this story, that it actually happened. That many people witnessing it and nobody stepped forward to one attacker. You can maybe imagine if it was a gang of 20 guys or something like that, but one person and you got 38 people, they couldn't step up to the plate and at least call the police. It's a shocking story, but it happened. Hopefully, none of us here this morning as followers of Christ would be able to not help somebody, that we would be more compassionate and we wouldn't fall into those statistics that I just shared. That's one story. The next story is about a golfer, and his name is Raymond Floyd. As a professional golfer, Mr. Floyd was getting ready to tap in a routine nine-inch putt. He saw the ball move ever so slightly. According to the rule book, if the ball moves in this way, the golfer must take a penalty stroke. Yet consider the situation. Floyd was among the leaders in a tournament offering a top prize of $108,000. To acknowledge that the ball had moved could mean that he would lose his chance for the big money. Writer David Hollihan describes as follows what others might have done. Quote, the athlete ducks his head and flails wildly with his hands as if he'd been attacked by a killer bee. Next, he steps back from the ball, rubbing his eyes for a phantom speck of dust, all the while scanning his playing partners and the gallery for any sign that the ball's movement had been detected by others. If the coast is clear, he steps up to the ball and puts it in for the par. Raymond Floyd, however, didn't do that. He assessed himself a penalty stroke and wound up with a bogey on the hole. Well, that's a lot of pressure. What would you have done? Just tap that ball ever so slightly. Who's going to see it? Nobody saw it that he knows of. But he did the right thing. <clears throat> After surveying thousands of people around the world, 
And after over 400 case studies, two psychologists identified the traits that are most desired in a leader. In virtually every study that was done in this, in this study, honesty and integrity were mentioned more than any other trait. Makes sense, doesn't it? If someone is going to follow a leader, they want that someone to be trusted. Someone who will keep their promises and follow through on their commitments. Well, this morning I'd like to go to the scriptures, take a look at someone whose life and testimony exemplified honesty and integrity, and you already know who it is from the text that I shared. We're going to be looking at the life of Samuel. Very impressive story or commentary on his life. So we're going to read together first five verses of 1 Samuel chapter 12. And I would like for you to stand with me while we read. I'm going to re- we're going to read this together. You can all read that on the, on the screen. Ready? Here we go. Verse 1. You may be seated. These are God's words from the Old Testament. You know, there's people of good character and good integrity, and they are those kind of people are lacking in the world today. Sadly, even in, it's in the it's in some churches, it's a lack of integrity, lack of good character. But I'd like to begin with some definitions for character. The pattern of behavior displayed in individual situations. And I like to think of individual situations as the fruits. You know, Jesus said in Matthew, by their fruits you shall know them. But it's the pattern of behavior. That's the character part. How you deal with those situations will cement your character. A crisis in your life doesn't necessarily make character, but it does reveal it. So when you face a crisis, your character comes out. Next, integrity. Integrity, when you commit yourself to make the right choice, not out of expediency, but because that is what has already been developed inside of you. Someone has said, when you combine character and integrity, here's what you get. Character is one's moral and ethical code, and integrity means that one lives according to that code. And thus, someone who lives with integrity lives according to their moral values. So you might, 
if you think of it that way, you might say that having integrity can be good or it can be bad. Depends on your moral code. If you're living according to your moral code and you're not a godly person, you have integrity, but it's not godly integrity. Does that make sense? <clears throat> well, we hopefully will be looking at godly integrity and trying to cultivate that in our lives. Just some things to note about, uh, about character, first of all. Character is more than talk. It's more than talk. Anyone can say that they have integrity, but action is the true indicator. Your character determines who you are. comes out through your integrity, your action. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 11 says, Even a child is known by his deeds, whether what he does is pure and right. Secondly, talent is a gift, but character is a choice. There's a lot of things in our life that we have absolutely no control over. None of us picked our parents. None of us picked the area of which we were raised, the, the, the part of this part of the country, or what country. We could have been raised under communistic rule, but most of us were raised here in America. You don't have a choice in that. You don't have a choice in your talents that you have. You don't have a choice in the IQ that you have. It's God-given things. We do choose and create our character. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 31 says, Do not envy the oppressor and choose none of his ways. See, God made us creatures of choice, so we can choose our character. Thirdly, our character brings lasting success with people. People do not trust those who have flawed characters. Good character will open up doors for lasting relationships with those around you. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 3, we give no offense in, any, in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. So Paul was very concerned about his character and his integrity. He didn't want to bring shame on Jesus Christ and the word and... Uh, the kingdom of heaven. All right, now let's shift gears a little bit and go to integrity. Things to note about integrity. Uh, definition by Ted Engstrom says, Ted says this, quote, integrity is not only the way one thinks, but even more the way one acts. Simply put, integrity is doing what you said you would do. It is as basic as keeping your word, fulfilling your promise. Number one, integrity makes us live for the Lord, not for men. Proverbs 16, verses 7 and 8 say, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. Integrity, a person with godly integrity wants to live for the Lord. He's more concerned about living for the Lord. What does God think versus what does man think? Secondly, integrity keeps us on the straight path. In Proverbs 11, verse 5, it, the writer says, The righteousness of the blameless, blameless will direct his own... I'm sorry, I'm going to start again. The righteousness of the blameless will direct his way aright, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the blameless, the person who has godly integrity will direct his way aright. Thirdly, 
Integrity makes God to delight in his people. Proverbs 11, verse 20. Those who are of a perverse heart are an abomination to the Lord, but the blameless in their ways are his delight. God likes to see people of integrity. Number four, integrity challenges our idea of success. Proverbs 28, verse 6. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one perverse in his ways, though he be rich. It reminds me of an old song I heard years ago by a southern gospel group, I'm a Poor Rich Man. I don't know if you ever heard that song, but uh, the writers of that, of the lyric says, I'm a poor rich man, meaning he's poor with his world's good, but he's rich because he has Jesus Christ. And hopefully that's each of our experience here. You know, we may or may not have many of this world's goods. And if we do have those things, we are stewards. Remember that? It's God's things. We're stewards. But are we rich? Are we rich in godly character? And do we have integrity? All right, number five. Number five is integrity brings blessings to our offspring. Proverbs 20, verse 7. The righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. Are we walking in integrity? Sadly, I know of a, of a man who has left his wife and his children and is not living for the Lord, is living for himself. And these children, some are married, some are teenagers. Can you imagine the shame that it's bringing to the family? That's what we're talking about here. A person of integrity walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. The example I just shared with you, the children and the family are ashamed. They are embarrassed. Number six, the integrity will make violent men to hate you. Proverbs 29, verse 10, the bloodthirsty, that's violence, the bloodthirsty hate the blameless, but the upright seek his well-being. And I had to think of the example in the scriptures in the Old Testament of Cain and Abel. We have Abel being the righteous man and Cain being very jealous of the choice that Abel made. And so Cain made a very wrong choice and he slew his brother. The bloodthirsty hate the blameless. Cain didn't like Abel because he thought God was pleased with him and he wasn't pleased with him, with Cain. All right, that's some things about character and integrity. Let's look at Samuel's life now <clears throat> and see how it's summarized in this passage that we just read together from 1 Samuel chapter 12, our text. He puts himself on trial in that text, and he's found innocent. He also puts the nation of Israel on trial, and they're found guilty. The claim that Samuel makes, even Saul, King Saul, David, Solomon, they weren't able to make these claims. Samuel's saying, my hands are clean. Be my witness. What was their response? We are witness. That's true. True, Samuel, what you said. But you think about the other three men that I mentioned. They couldn't say that because you know their life stories. Every day, children of God are put on trial 
by the choices that we make. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, gives us some keys to success. If we want to be people of godly character and godly integrity. Therefore also, we, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, here we go, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily snares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what I have in the on the screen behind me in, in yellow there, I, I look at them as the keys to success. Lay aside the weight and the sin which ensnares us. Run with endurance the race that's set before us and keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. You do those things and you will be a person with godly character and you will make the right choices. You will have godly integrity. Every child of God, as I said, is on trial. Here in the United States of America, the government and the people continue to be on a downhill slide. You know, if you listen to the news or, or whatever, pay attention to the news at all, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's to be expected, though. If, we read, if we're Bible readers, if we're Scripture readers and believers, the Bible says it's going to get worse and worse. Um, these are people from the other kingdom. What are we expecting? But the church also at large, and this is a, not a blanket statement, but there are many people in churches across America today that are not too far behind, sadly. Once, you might say, the church was the moral conscience of the world, but not anymore. Sadly, even in the church, some churches, you find crooks, you find thieves, you find scandals, perverts, and that's very sad, but it's true. May it not be true here amongst us. You have to wonder, where are the Daniels, as in the Old Testament Daniel? People willing to stand alone. What would a judge and a jury say about you if you were put on trial in the courthouse for your faith? And that, what I just said, seems very bleak and, and dark. And it's not pleasant to think about. But we are not without hope. There are faithful people in, in the world today, faithful Christians following Jesus, being very faithful, and being like Samuel, blameless. I had to think of the scripture that talks about, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. And I, somebody know where that is offhand, the reference? I didn't look it up, but I think you know what I mean. Thank you. So, be ye therefore perfect. Does that mean we're, we're commanded to be, like, perfect? Like, we don't, we don't stumble at all? There's no sin? There's no stumbling? And I think we all understand that to be, that's not right. But I think it's more like this morning what I'm sharing about being complete in Christ, having integrity. Be perfect. Be of godly character. Be of godly integrity. That's completeness. That's, that's being like Christ. And that's what we're called to do is be like Christ. Be complete in him. 
All right, let's take a look at some other men of the scriptures who had integrity, and some of these are my, my favorite Old Testament characters. The first one, <clears throat> excuse me, the first one is Joseph. I, I love the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph had total command in the house, even as a slave. Think of Joseph's life, and as he was serving as a slave, and how he lived in Potiphar's house. He was tested with authority. He was tested with money, power. He was tested with a woman who was not his wife. And Joseph passed the test. Joseph passed all the tests. A godly example that we can follow. And then Daniel, as I mentioned, Daniel in the Old Testament, he was advisor to three kings, and he would tell them the way it was with wisdom for them to repent. Daniel despised money, even when he was to be bribed by Belshazzar regarding the handwriting on the wall. And Daniel even continued to pray when it was outlawed. Daniel prayed when it was outlawed. Third one is Job. Everything was taken from him. You know the story. Everything was taken from him, but he, he stuck to his morals, his wealth, his power, his influence, money, children, everything was taken away from him. And his, even his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die, Job? You're miserable. But you know what he said? Even if God kills me, I will not deny him. God is looking for men and for women, just like Job, just like Daniel, just like Joseph. Will you be one of them? Now, let's go back to the life of Samuel again. Back to the life of Samuel. When you see a great man or a great woman of God, sometimes we often wonder about their life and maybe their childhood how were they raised? What was their childhood like and their upbringing? That they are, have turned out to be such a godly person, godly man or woman. Well, we have some information about Samuel. If you read 1 Samuel, you can read about his childhood. We don't have a lot of information about some of the other characters in Scripture, about their early childhood or upbringing. We don't know that much you might say about Elijah or Joshua, Elisha, New Testament Paul or Peter. You read about them, but you don't read much about their childhood or their upbringing. But we know about Samuel because Samuel was prayed for, uh, and God answered that prayer, and he was born to Hannah. In fact, the name Samuel comes from the Hebrew word asked of God. She asked God for a son, and he gave her Samuel. So like Moses, Samuel was called to fill many roles. He was called to be a judge, a priest, a prophet, a counselor, and called to be God's man at a turning point in the history of Israel. So like Moses, know the story of Moses, Samuel, very similar had all those different things, uh, responsibilities, and they served well and faithfully. Samuel was great. He was consecrated to God by his parents. We see that in chapter 1. 
he had a wonderful childhood, and uh, we see that in chapter 2. We, he heard God's voice in his boyhood in chapter 3. You remember the story how he called, went over to Saint Eli and said, you called me? No, no, I didn't call you. You know that whole story. He was last, he was the last and most effective of Israel's judges. He was an upright judge. As we saw in our text today, the verses we read together, all those qualities, he was an upright judge. He assisted in the transition of Israel from loosely governed tribes to a monarchy. He was courageous. He was courageous. He confronted Saul about his sin and disobedience. We see that in chapters 13 and 15 of 1 Samuel. So here's a prophet, priest, judge confronting the the monarch, the king. And you know what powers the king has. The king can lop off his head or whatever he wants to do to him. But Samuel had courage. He had He had courage to go and confront Saul about his sin and about his disobedience. Samuel anointed the first two kings of Israel, Saul and David. He was a man of prayer, an intercessor, and I want to read those couple of verses here. In chapter 12, if you want to just listen, that's fine. If you want to follow along, I'm going to read 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 17 and 18. Is today not the wheat harvest? I will call to the Lord, and he will send thunder and rain, that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, in asking a king for yourselves. And so Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. So they asked for a king. You know, God was their leader. And the people weren't satisfied anymore. They wanted a king. So ultimately, it came down to where Samuel anointed Saul to be their first king. And Saul, Samuel prayed, and God heard that prayer, and the people were witness to all that. The next one I'm going to read is in chapter 15, verses 10 and 11, another example of him being a man of prayer. Chapter 15, verses... 10 and 11. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. He spent a whole night in prayer. Probably not the only time he did that. All right. Samuel was a man of prayer. He was also an educator. He was an inspired prophet. We see that in chapter 3, chapter 8. He was a circuit prophet in chapter 17, excuse me, chapter 7, verse 16. Uh, Samuel's weakness is inability to influence his sons to godly living, but he tried his best. And in Hebrews 11, he's listed there in the Hall of Faith, we might call it. Some people call it the Hall of Faith. He's listed there. But he was different than some other unfaithful biblical characters. Saul, the king, 
He says in chapter 26, I'm going to read that one, 1 Samuel 26. This is about, this is Saul, 26 verse 21. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. Saul admitting his failure and his sin. I'm saying Samuel was different than some other unfaithful biblical characters. This is one where he was not like Saul. Judas in the New Testament said, I have betrayed innocent blood, speaking of when he betrayed our Lord Savior Jesus Christ. In, Ma in Matthew 27, verse 4, Judas says, I've sinned. I've betrayed innocent blood. Demas, he was Paul's helper. He forsook Paul, as recorded in 2 Timothy 4. We're not sure if he left the faith or if he just kind of departed from, from Paul. But he forsook Paul. Diotrephes loved power. In 3 John, verses 9 through 10, <clears throat> you can read those. I'm not going to read them right now, but those verses kind of show us that Diotrephes, if I'm saying that right, loved to be first. He refused to welcome the apostles of the church. He maliciously spreads gossip about men of God. He withholds hospitality from other believers. He requires others to follow his poor example, and he excommunicates anyone who crosses him. That was the kind of character that Diotrephes had. But not Samuel. Samuel was a man of God. Now, I don't consider Samuel perfect It's in that sense where he didn't ever sin. But he is perfect. He is complete in God. His children may have had a different perspective on him. I don't know what it was like being raised in Samuel's household. Maybe he was heavily involved in, you know, judging and prophesying and confronting people. I don't know what it was like. What, what was his children's perspective? I don't know. The sons of Jesse, they had maybe a different perspective of Samuel. They might have thought he's kind of a confused and partial old prophet. If you recall the story, whenever he was picking David to be the king, he went, went to Jesse and started with the oldest, went down through all the sons and like, Nope, you're not you. Let's go to the next one. Nope, not you. And they went all the way down to David. So maybe they thought he was kind of a confused old man. I don't know what they thought. <clears throat> but the people, the people of Israel saw him as unyielding. And none of them, as in our text today, none of them had a tangible accusation against Samuel. Samuel passed the test. Looking at his childhood, think about what was going on in the priesthood at the time when Eli was the priest with his corrupt sons. Later, Saul used his position as king to gain wealth and take advantage of his followers by taking their property for personal use. So Samuel was living in this kind of environment with ungodliness and poor choices all around him, but he was different. He passed the test. So what is your life like? What is your life like as viewed by others in your community? What's your unbelieving coworkers see in your life? Or your customers, 
you're in business. Are you a person with godly integrity? Samuel acted with integrity in the financial area. He said, whose ox have I taken? In the area of labor and employment, he said, whose donkey have I taken? In the area of personal interactions, whom have I defrauded? In the area of justice and equity, where many have fallen in favoritism and tribalism, he passed that test. In the area of discontent with what he had, Samuel never accepted a bribe. In the area of credit and debt, he owed no one. So, if he would have owed anybody, I'm sure he would have restored that and even more. But even the people of Israel testified, as we read in our text, that Samuel had lived a life of integrity and transparent holiness. His preaching had taken on flesh, where the rubber met the road, you might say. Samuel's long-term influence. You know, we're still reading about him today here in 2023. Possibly being influenced by Samuel, Paul issued similar challenges to the church in Acts 20, verse 33. He said, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. The Apostle Paul was very concerned about godly integrity, godly character, living above board, being holy. So there's nobody can point to say something, that pointed anything in his life and blame him for anything. He was a preacher, Paul, that is. Paul was a preacher. He was a teacher, evangelist, a church planner. He also worked as a tent maker, which at least helped to provide for himself and intentionally not to depend on others so that they can't blame him for things. So that was Samuel's life. And as I said, we're still reading about him today in the Scriptures. What will your long-term influence be? Are you making selfish choices in life for the here and the now? Is that what people are going to remember about you? If you were to pass away tomorrow and people thought about your life, would they think about the godliness in your life or the bad choices, the selfishness in your life? Are you a person of godly integrity, focused on Jesus Christ, Responding as he would to the situations that you face in life. We're here in 2024 at the beginning, one week into it. We don't know what lies ahead for any of us. But if God permits to allow, allow us to live another 360 days, what's 2024 going to look like for you? couple more illustrations. Stories told of a man in a southern university. He made a football team as a starting split, starting split end. And I'm sorry, I'm not even that much of a football guy. I don't even know what a starting split end is. Maybe you all do. He continued, he was continually before God saying, help me in the climax of moments to be absolutely honest. I pray for honesty, that one, that one mark of integrity. I want to be that, Lord, and I'll work on it throughout the season. Well, the rival team came that night and it was a homecoming night, and he ran his route. He went into the end zone. The quarterback shot the pass to him, and he got it low. He landed on it, and the referee shouted, touchdown! But, but he knew. The man knew that he had trapped the ball. And if you don't know what that means, that means he, 
kind of dove after the ball when it was coming and landed on top of it. Didn't really catch it, but he kind of trapped it on the ground. But even the referee didn't, couldn't see that he trapped it. He thought he caught it and hit the ground. But if you just trap it, that's not fair. The stands were cheering. The people in the stands were cheering, trying to send him on the way as a hero of the game. But he stood up and said, wait a minute. And he walks over to the referee. And he told the referee, he shook his head. He said, I trapped it. I trapped it. And after thinking about it, the referee canceled the touchdown. And they lost the game. Now, as I, you may not much know much about football. You may know what it's like to watch football sometimes or whatever, but that man stood alone against the whole team, against his fans. Didn't matter to him. He knew what happened, and he was going to make the right choice. So I can't take the credit. I didn't catch it. Another one, Ted Williams. Ted Williams was 40 years old and closing out his career with the Boston Red Sox. He was suffering from a pinched nerve in his, in his neck. The thing was so bad, he later explained, that I could hardly turn my head to look at the pitcher. For the first time in his career, he batted under 300, hitting just 254 with 10 home runs. He was the highest salaried player in sports that year, making $125,000. And the next year, the Red Sox sent him the same contract. But he said, when I got it, I sent it back with a note. I told them I wouldn't sign it until they gave me the full pay cut allowed. I think it was 25%. My feeling was that I was always treated fairly by the Red Sox when it came to contracts. I never had any problem with them about money. Now they are offering me a contract that I didn't deserve. And I only wanted what I deserved. And Ted Williams took a salary cut that, that year by $31,250. Well, I'm not here to condone involvement in professional sports this morning. I'm just sharing with you two examples of men that had integrity and choices in their, in their field. And I'm sure that we can all make similar applications in, in, in our lives, situations that we face, whether it's in our businesses or in our daily living, whatever it is, life situations. Uh, can we be like these two examples that I just shared? Can we be like Samuel in the Old Testament who lived for the Lord, who was concerned about the king, living for God, that God, that God in his name would not be brought low. In closing, I'd like to share with you five keys to success. One, think about and take a look at your past. What can you learn from your mistakes? What can you learn from your victories that you had this year, past year? Number two, consider your priorities in life. What are you called to do? What is required for that calling? Look deep, deep inside and be honest. Number three, completely own your mistakes. Accept full responsibility for your life, the decisions you make, the choices you make, how it affects other people. Accept that. Sometimes it might be bad. Are you willing to come back and ask for forgiveness? 
do people know that about you? They're like, he's quick to, he's quick to seek forgiveness. Or eh, he's just pretty proud. He never, he never got it out of him. He knows full well he made a mistake, and he's not, not admitting it. Is that you? Maybe that's something you can change this year. Number four, change without hesitation. Change the things in your life that need to be changed. And lastly, maybe this should be first. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding and your excuses. Let's pray.